Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give, and there's no regular commitment. Just click the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. episode of History Gets Real. I am your host, Greg Getz, and today is going to be part two of our discussion of the five good emperors of Rome. Now, when we left off yesterday, I was talking about Trajan and when he became emperor and came back to Rome and the people greeted him and embraced him as a good leader and he embraced them back as, you know, I am your brother, I am your father, I am here to take care of you, I am here for you but also turned to the Senate and said, let's get shit done. Because for too long, Rome had been plagued by crappy leaders, and I had discussed that when we were talking about Nero, who is accused of letting Rome burn and then playing a stage theater show about the destruction of Troy. Ironic, isn't it? And then, of course, Domitian, who was very unfavorable with the Senate and the people and the military and had a coup staged against him. So now that Trajan is in Rome, this is where things start to kick off into a new direction, like a new future for Rome. And the first notable thing that he does is he begins a conquest into Dacia. So Domitian had issues with Dacia when he ruled. He and the king of Dacia got into a little bit of a skirmish at the border and they ended up coming up with like a weak treaty where, you know, I won't mess with you, you won't mess with me, you stick to your side, we'll stick to our side, that kind of shit. Problem is, the Dacian king did not keep to this treaty, and Trajan knew that. So his first order of business was to go back there and finish what Domitian started. So the first skirmish that they had, Trajan held out a little bit of mercy. You know, he reconquered the lands that Dacia had stole, and told the king, stay the fuck out of our place, Leave us alone. You keep to your area. Don't make me come back here. He left. Everything was fine. Well, once Trajan got back to Rome, 
he found out that all of the forts and settlements that he had set up into that new territory were attacked and pillaged by the Dacian king. So, this time Trajan said, alright, this fucker's gotta go. So he went back a second time, and he laid waste to these people. I mean, he had the Dacian king on the run, and he did not stop this campaign until he found the Dacian king dead from apparent suicide. There goes that one, and he came back, he was greeted as a hero, hailed for his triumphs, and the column of Trajan was erected in his honor, and it displayed his conquests and his time spent in Dacia. So... Already, I mean, he has already turned a new quarter. I mean, it's kind of like a football team getting a new coach. You know, years after years of having a, a crappy team and, you know, not going to the playoffs. And then finally, here's this new young coach and he comes in and he takes you to the Super Bowl the next year. You know, it's, it's kind of like that. So Rome is happy. The people are happy. They're thrilled. They're on the winning side again. They have a leader who's competent. Who wouldn't like that, you know? After his exploits in Dacia... He fulfilled Nerva's goal when, because Nerva had that plan of setting up trust funds to aid the orphans and children and the homeless of Rome. And in a way to honor his adoptive father, Nerva completed that plan, instilled these trusts, and wanted to fulfill his adopted father's promise to the people. And it didn't stop there. This was not the only time that Trajan showed strong moral resound for his people. In my research, I found a really, really cool correspondence, you know, like a series of uh, letters sent back and forth from Pliny the Younger to Trajan. Now, like I said in the last one, Pliny the Younger was that historian. He was also a magistrate who had a massive hard-on for Trajan. I mean, he loved the guy to death. Well, for the kind words that he spoke of, Trajan, when he came back to Rome and was made new emperor and such, Trajan gave him the position of governor of one of their provinces. And, I mean, this just blew Pliny's mind. He was, like, so grateful. And a lot of these correspondents, it was really funny to read because, like I said, he had a massive hard-on. So each time, it's just like, oh, my great and powerful emperor, I beseech upon you this request. Thank you so much for giving me this position. And Trajan is like, yeah, 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 kid, calm down. So there were a few times in these correspondence, <clears throat> one of them, Pliny requests that guidance from Trajan on how to handle a situation. So there was a neglected bathhouse in one of the towns that he was in charge of. And he asked Trajan, hey, I want to build these people this new bathhouse. The one they have is dilapidated, it's terrible, and I think we owe it to the people to build this. What do you say? Trajan's response was, absolutely, build them a new bathhouse. This is what we need to do for our people. But if I find out that taxes were raised in order to fund this new bathhouse, which is something that we owe them as a service, I'm going to take some heads. Okay. Pliny didn't raise taxes. No taxes were raised. It came out of the province's budget, and a new bathhouse was built. Trajan didn't think that it was up to the people to pay for such a thing that he believed was a necessity and a service that he owed to his people. I mean, the best way to cut down on disease and stuff like that is to make sure that your people have good hygiene. And what better way to do that than to have a bathhouse? Now, I mean, it's not like this was a bathhouse that was used on the regular. You know, they didn't really take showers every other day like we do now. It was more like, you know, 
twice a week, maybe once a week and stuff like that. It was, it was kind of a luxury, but it was a luxury that Trajan believed it was up to the government to fund for the people. And I respect that. I mean, who wouldn't, you know? Now, another one, this one was really interesting. So Christianity was a young religion at the time. It wasn't as large and they didn't really have the uh, following that they do now. In this province, Pliny had received news and like anonymous pamphlets that there were Christians about in town. These pamphlets were accusing certain members of society as being Christians and uh, renouncing the old gods. And he didn't know what to do. You know, he had never been in this position. So he was like, hey, Trajan, I got some bad news. Like these people are being accused of being Christians and they're denouncing the gods. They're denouncing you. How do I go about this? You know, what am I supposed to do? Trajan's response is unlike anything that you could imagine from an emperor. So you have to think about it. Emperors in Rome, they weren't necessarily considered gods, but they were above the average man. You know, they had statues erected in their name, respect and admire and treat the emperor as if they are almost a deity of kinds, like a demigod, you know, chosen by the gods to lead the people. That's kind of how they were respected and treated. So you not only were you supposed to pay homage to the old gods, but you were also supposed to pay homage to the emperor as he was the one leading and preserving the empire. Trajan tells him, this is disconcerting, but I don't want to hear about any anonymous pamphlets. If you have conclusive evidence that someone is being a Christian, if they are out in town preaching Christianity, then yes, they need to be dealt with, they need to be prosecuted, executed, whatever. But I do not want to hear about anyone being accused in an anonymous pamphlet because this might be someone that is just trying to get revenge on someone for a petty reason or they're trying to get someone out of their way to make their their own name stand out more. I don't want to hear about allegations. If someone comes forward and you ask them, are they a Christian, and they denounce it, you believe them. It is your job to believe your people when they tell you the truth. Now, if you ask them if they are a Christian and they say, yes, I am, you give them the choice to repent. If they just still say that they are a Christian, you ask them one more time. And if they still say that they are a Christian, then deal with them. But I am not going to have my officials go out into town on a witch hunt and take these people who are being falsely accused, whether it's false or whether it's true. I don't want you to go out in town and take these people out of their homes under the assumption that they are a Christian. That is not our job. That is not your job. And that is wrong. I do not want my people to live in fear. What the fuck, man? Like, here, here is this emperor from 99 CE that is saying, I don't want my people to live in fear of retaliation or retribution because they have a different belief. His philosophy was, if they are worshiping this Christian God in their own household, that's their business. That's not my business. But if they are out in town and they are preaching it and denouncing our gods, then that's a problem. You know, that's that's someone that's kind of causing a stir, and we don't really want someone to cause a stir when we're trying to build our society back up. But whatever they do in their spare time, in the comfort of their own home, is their own business. That is something 
that I think we could adopt nowadays. You know, what happens behind people's closed doors is their fucking business. I don't care what you do in your house, but when you come outside and bring your problems and are toting it around outside and it's causing a panic or a stir, then then that becomes a public problem. But what you do in the comfort of your house is fine. I don't care. Do it. And that was Trajan's philosophy. What is not to respect about that? It's incredible. Unfortunately, we've kind of gone backwards in that area in our modern society. But that's that's a whole other discussion. We're not going to get into that. So after these series of correspondences, in the remaining years he spent as emperor, he had various campaigns in the Eastern Front. He was securing a foothold in the Persian Gulf. He was doing very well. This was one of the few times that he actually lost a few battles. The campaign was an overall success, but he did have some setbacks at that time. But this was, you know, later in his years. So he's he wasn't as young and spry and stuff like that anymore. So it was, it was facing some trouble. The northern frontier was sort of collapsing. And Trajan got word that there was also a possible coup ensuing back in Rome while he was on the eastern front. So he came back to Rome. And at that time, this is when he adopted his cousin's son, Hadrian, as his, as his successor. Uh, Hadrian's father died when he was 10. And Trajan kind of took him under his wing at that time because, you know, it's his cousin's son. So, you know, he, he took it upon himself to try and raise him right and be there for him. And uh, Hadrian kind of was like a reckless kid a little bit when he was younger, um, getting into fights, going on like <laughs> the equivalent of a DUI in like a chariot or whatever. So, I mean, he, he was kind of a reckless kid, but... You know, it was just his way of acting out, and Trajan did his best to try and steer him in the proper direction, and I think he did a pretty good job, uh, given the circumstances. You know, it's not easy to rule a vast empire and also keep track of your, you know, adolescent, angsty teenager. <laughs> so Trajan, in 117 CE, suffered a stroke, and it was su suspected of it being poison. He ended up passing away. 19 years he was emperor. Now, remember when I told you that Otho ruled for three months, Vespasian ruled for like maybe a few years, and then Domitian uh, ruled for a few more, Nerva for like 16 months? 19 years Trajan ruled. This was the first time in the better half of a century that Rome actually had a stable leadership not only a competent one but an authoritative one that instilled spirit back into rome you know people were happy they were being treated properly the army was being successful sure they had their few setbacks you're not going to win them all but overall the military strength grew because they had this great militaristically minded leader handling everything and that really helped them out in the long run Trajan's fame, after he passed away, is a marvel among Roman emperors. He carried himself like he was... He carried himself like we suspect a Roman emperor would, and acted in a way that a leader should. He was not unjust, he was not corrupt, he wasn't, he wasn't a tyrant either. He was a man who cared for his people, and would rather be loved than feared. And I believe he accomplished that. 
he may have had an unnecessary taste for battle. He excused that for being good at it. I mean, if you're good at something, you're going to keep doing it. And he was very good at battle. Should he have continued his Eastern Front campaign? Probably not. But you're already in it. So, you know, what do you do at that point? And it's, not, and it's not like it was a total failure, you know. They secured the Eastern Front. Sure, they had setbacks, but they ended up securing it before he returned to Rome and eventually passed away. Uh, he succeeded at being a good man and emperor for the people of Rome after years of inconsistency at the position of emperor. Trajan's legacy carried along after he expired. Significantly, the Senate still prayed new emperor, emperors would be, and I quote, more fortunate than Augustus, and better than Trajan. While Trajan is credited with being a conquering emperor, Hadrian ended up being the opposite. So Trajan was a military-minded emperor. Hadrian was more of a diplomatic and peaceful emperor, but he was not perfect by any means. Usually when you think about Roman emperors, sure, some of them are on the fronts, but they remain in the whole empire you know they go to the fronts to check on their soldiers but they don't really travel beyond that hadrian traveled everywhere this guy went to britain he went to africa he went to syria he went up north he went to gaul this guy traveled everywhere because he was a learner he wanted to learn things he wanted to see things he wanted to check on every single individual within the empire he wanted to check and make sure that his governors were doing a good job and councilmen were doing the proper jobs and make sure that his soldiers were well kept and defenses were manned properly that he wasn't content with just sitting in rome this this guy was a free spirit he was a man of refined status who favored culture in the arts whereas as i said you know trajan and the others were more military-minded or just straight-up assholes. So Hadrian was born in 76 CE. Hadrian would not have been considered being adopted if it wasn't for Trajan, because like I said, Trajan's cousin, or sorry, Hadrian was the son of Trajan's cousin. So the fact that his cousin was elevated to the position of emperor really trying to really put him in the limelight. And then his father passing away, you know, he was taken under the wing of Trajan and tried to show the ropes, you know. Trajan wanted to give him a, a steady hand growing up. There were times where he did have issues. He was just out doing teenagehood rat shit, you know, as you would expect. It, 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 whether it happened in the ancient history or it's happening now, teenagers are teenagers. They're going to do some hood rat shit sometimes. And Hadrian was no exception, you know. He went out, he got into brawls, he went and stole stuff, he drove chariots around town drunk like you know it's, it's whatever I'm not saying it was right but teenagers are teenagers and you remember when i told you that nerva had a handwritten note delivered specifically to trajan telling him that he was adopted guess who delivered the note none other than our very own hadrian small fucking world right so the first acts as emperor with hadrian was to abandon the eastern territories that Trajan fought in his final moments. Now, that may seem kind of stupid, but like I said, it, it was a successful campaign, but it wasn't the most stable campaign. He left after they conquered, but they weren't exactly able to build a proper 
frontier to hold their position. So Hadrian, rather than funneling more resources into that area, pulled back and focused his attention elsewhere. Because the north was still all constantly under attack. You know, barbarian tribes were constantly battering on the frontiers of the north. So he wanted to focus his attention more up there rather than, you know, knocking on the door of some other empire or some other group of people and have another problem crop up. So he was fond of all things Greek and he wanted to spread Greek works throughout the empire. One of the greatest achievements from Hadrian's reign was the architecture he built and refurbished. Most notably was the rebuilding of the Pantheon in Rome and of course Hadrian's Wall in Britain. Now if you don't know what Hadrian's Wall is, that's okay. This is a I want to say it was a 150 mile wall that stretched across England. It separated uh, northern England from southern England. So pretty much it separated England from Scotland. And it was a way to keep out the Scottish barbarians from attacking Roman colonies and settlements and stuff like that. And it was a huge wall. I mean, it's, I mean, it's not as big as the Great Wall of China, but it is still an impressive feat for rome to have built that massive wall and parts of it are still standing today and i hope to go see it one day that would be incredible oh i am i am so sorry i was wrong it was 80 miles long rather than focusing on attacking new places building new frontiers he wanted to solidify the frontiers that he had and strengthen the defenses because he wasn't a military person he focused more he was a talker you know with all the culture aspects and stuff that he focused on he was a speaker. He tried to deal with things in a diplomatic manner before escalating to warfare. And it wasn't that he couldn't fight. He was a renowned soldier, not nearly as renowned as Trajan, mind you, but he was still a successful soldier. But he wanted to try and settle things in a more diplomatic manner rather than go straight to the sword. Now, here's where Hadrian's legacy kind of turns a little bit. So while he was more culturally adept than, you know, Trajan, and he was more diplomatic and refined than Trajan, he had a dark side. There was a historian who wrote about Hadrian, and he carried himself in a manner which it was difficult to determine which personality you were going to get. Most of the time, he was a poet, loved writing poems, very graceful dancer, he was an artist a performer, kind of like Nero. However, he was also notably cruel and suspicious. He thought everyone was out to get him, and he thought people were plotting behind his back. He, he was, I wouldn't say he was necessarily unhinged, but he was very paranoid. One of the things that I read about him is he went to a province in his northern territories and asked the governors, you know, for their updates and everything like that. And he found out someone was skimming money and not paying for things like they should have been. This man made this governor commit suicide in front of him while everyone else watched. And he got off on it. He enjoyed it. He loved it. How fucking sick is that? So, like, it was kind of iffy. Most of the time, you know, he was a refined person, but he did have his demons. And he was also kind of a sadist. He enjoyed watching people do things that he told them to do, like commit suicide. I want you to hit yourself. I want you to 
to hurt yourself. He he enjoyed that. He enjoyed inflicting, not necessarily himself inflicting pain, but he enjoyed people being in pain for whatever reason. Not 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 very good. Yeah, he he kind of had this twist, twisted sense, but administratively and logistically, I mean, he was a superb emperor. He just uh, he he was just he was just a little twisted sometimes, you know. Fearing his inevitable death, he ended up growing very sick. Uh, he contracted an illness uh, described as flow of blood from the nostrils. It's not clear what exactly he had. It was more than likely a form of cancer that he got. But, you know, there's just no way of telling. So, facing his inevitable death, he adopted this guy named Lucius Commodus. No relation to Marcus Aurelius as Commodus. So he adopted this guy, Commodus, and unfortunately, Commodus passed away from what appeared to be tuberculosis in 138. And this is when his paranoia started setting in. So he names this guy his successor, and then he dies. So he starts getting more and more paranoid. He thinks everyone around him and in his court are conspiring against him. Ordered his brother-in-law and grandson to commit suicide because they believed that they were plotting behind his back to try and instill themselves as emperor. But he in eventually adopted this man called Antonus Pius. And Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom, like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn Jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates, like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Wow. Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. And he adopted Antonus Pius, relinquished the throne, and left to go die in peace. 
He was like, I can't handle this anymore. I am not being a good emperor, so I need to relinquish this. And he thought Antonus Pius was the proper person to take over for him. And I couldn't agree more. Marcus Aurelius couldn't agree more when he was adopted by Antonus Pius. We'll get in we'll get into what Marcus had to say about him later, but as far as all of these five good emperors go, Antonus Pius was probably the only man that did not have that many demons. He was a humble man, but he carried himself in a way that you respected. You know, he 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 didn't place himself above anyone. He didn't want people to grovel or throw themselves at him. He was just like, I am here. I am here to do business for you. I'm not here to place myself above you. So please, please don't, please don't bow to me. Okay. When, you know, I, I'm just, I'm just here to do my job and take care of you guys. Please just, he was a very humble man, but he was also stern, you know, it wasn't like he was feeble or meek. He was just reserved he knew what he was capable of, but he didn't need to flaunt it. And he also didn't need anyone to talk him up because he could back it up. So Antonus Pius was born in 86 in Latium. His family rose to prominence sorry, under the Flavian emperors, which was Vespasian and Domitian. And Antonus was actually a consul back in 120. It was believed that Hadrian's appointment of Antonus wasn't necessarily due to his prowess, but it was his attempt to try and get Marcus Aurelius as emperor because Hadrian noticed Marcus and believed that he was the next one. He, he saw Marcus and immediately knew this guy is going to go places. This guy is incredible. But we can owe Marcus's incredibleness to his adopted father, Antonus. He raised him on how to act as emperor. Marcus studied and followed Antonus no matter where he went. The whole time that he was emperor, Marcus was right there by his side learning. He had the perfect mentor on how to behave as an emperor and how not to behave, but Antonus didn't display any characteristics that you wouldn't want to behave as because he was just a great man. And he was like the best of both Hadrian and Trajan you know he was militarily minded but he tried to be diplomatic and was able to back his stuff up if need be. Marcus remarked that Antonus was a meek man who never held himself above others and carried himself in a manner that was nothing short of honorable and virtuous. I mean you can't go wrong with that. During Antonus's reign we didn't really see that many great wars. There weren't moments. There there were a couple moments of civil unrest. You know, people getting hungry. You know, people just becoming stagnant and rising up and stuff like that. But he didn't quell the uprisings with force or anything like that. He appealed to the people. He wanted to hear what their plights were. And he did his best to appeal to them. And, I mean, that's something pretty, pretty admirable. You know, you hear your people are having troubles in... You know, his first thought is, why are you having troubles? Tell me what your problem is, and we can try and figure this out. I owe it to you as your emperor to figure this out. Hey, all right, cool. Better than what we got going on right now, you know? Yeah, help us out. Can't go wrong with that. So yeah, Antonus took over for Hadrian. Hadrian left. Upon word that Hadrian had eventually passed away, Antonus moved to have Hadrian deified by the Senate, and he wanted Hadrian's final acts ratified to honor this deceased emperor. 
The Senate didn't want to do any of that shit. You know, the fact that this sadistic emperor had his own brother-in-law and grandson uh, commit suicide in front of him, he got off on it, and the other people he had commit suicide, like, the Senate didn't want anything to do with it. Hadrian was dead, it's done, it's over with. We don't, we don't want anything else to come up with this guy. And Antonus said, if you defy Hadrian's final acts as emperor, then that means you're defying me. Do you want to be accused of treason, or do you want to honor this last emperor's requests? How are you going to respond to that? You know, are you do you want to be accused of treason, or do you want to appeal to the better nature of your emperor? Yeah, I think you're going to appeal to the better nature of your emperor. <laughs> so, begrudgingly, the Senate honored Antonus's request, and but after that, I think Antonus realized that he he played that card. He was lucky that they didn't call his bluff. Because, I mean, he wasn't he wasn't going to rise up against the Senate. He wasn't a tyrant. He wasn't an evil man like some of the other emperors were. So I think he realized that the Senate knew that he wasn't going to do anything, but they didn't want to press his luck because they didn't really know for sure. So after that, he became more cautious with his requests, and he kind of stepped back a little bit. Not too much, though. He was a selfless man. He gave donations to the military from his own, uh, his own private faults, he founded an order for destitute girls called Faustine in honor of his wife Faustina and even donated wine, oil, and wheat from his own private stores when there was when scarcity struck the empire. So there was, you know, a wine shortage and stuff like that. There was a huge drought that affected the empire and, you know, people were going hungry. The army was running low on oil and wine and stuff like that and wheat crops weren't growing that well. So Antonis went into his own private stores and donated his own stuff to the people and to the military. That, that's just incredible. You know, not many leaders would, you know, do that. He was considered a paternal emperor because he cared for the people as if they were his own kin. In one instance, one man was found guilty of attempting to steal the throne from Antonis. Antonis requested that the investigation end with one man. He, he didn't want anyone else to get in trouble. He was like, it was this man and this man alone. Only he needs to be punished. We don't need to go after the other transpirers because it failed. What do we get out of that? All we get is resentment and fear. We don't want to fear our people. So this one man that tried to steal my throne is all we need. And everyone else will learn. If it happens again, that one person will be punished. That was it. He ended up dying peacefully in his sleep. Uh, due to an apparent case of food poisoning. Uh, there was a author who wrote about um, Antonis overindulging on cheese, and after going to bed, he vomited and developed a fever. I know it's not funny, but, I mean, it's kind of a crappy way to go. You know, you're just minding your own business, eating some... Eating a steady diet of government cheese, and he ended up dying in his sleep! It's unfortunate, but, you know... Cheese is man's food. Before his death, he decreed that Marcus was his successor. Or, no, yeah, so he stayed up that night. He uh, developed a fever. He was vomiting. And, yeah, before he died, he announced that Marcus was to assume the throne after his death and passed away. He was laid to rest in March of 161. He was a popular ruler, and upon his death, Marcus honored him by having him deified by the Senate and by the people. 
Almost alone of all emperors, he lived entirely unsullied by the blood of either citizen or foe, so far as was in his power. And he was justly compared to Numa, a legendary king of Rome, whose good fortune and tranquility and religious rights he, he ever maintained. It goes without saying that Antonus was an emperor who was loved by his people as much as he loved them. An honorable man to the latter. He did not treat any man as his lesser, but rather as his own blood. Not only was he a good emperor in maintaining the empire and bringing it prosperity, but he was also a good man who never let the power of the throne consume him or challenge his virtues. You know, we saw Hadrian kind of go down a darker path, but even in his paranoia, he realized that he was slipping below what an emperor sh how an emperor should behave, so he relinqu relinquished the throne to Antonus. Antonus didn't let this power go to his head. He maintained his virtues until the very end, and I think that is something that we can all strive to be like someday. Alright, so Marcus shared the responsibilities. Oh, sorry, I'm getting ahead of myself. <laughs> While his final wish was for Marcus to assume the throne, Marcus wanted to share it with his brother, Lucius Aurelius Varus Commodus. It's a long-ass name, Jesus. Antonus' wish was that Marcus be emperor. Upon his death, Marcus said, I am not going to share this alone. I want to share this with my brother. Because Antonus not only adopted Marcus, but he also adopted this guy, Lucius Aurelius Varus. It, it's, kind of a, it's kind of a sweet story. I don't know how many of you have uh, played Star Wars Knights of the Old Republic or have seen any of the cinematic trailers, but there is one in particular where two brothers grow up and they're training to become warriors and you know one of them is a little bit better than the other and the other one keeps getting discouraged but his other brother keeps lifting him up one of the brothers ends up getting injured in battle and he starts becoming resentful towards their father who's not showing them appreciation as much but the other brother he he never puts himself above the other never thinks that he's better he treats his brother as if he's an equal but the other brother can't help his feelings this is this is kind of how marcus and lucius were so they grew up together antonis and the other senators favored marcus immensely you know they were grooming him to be the perfect emperor they were showing him more attention and getting him enrolled into the better schools and lucius was kind of just left in the dark but no matter what marcus was there to bring his brother out he always tried to include his brother on everything. Everyone's like, oh, Marcus, 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 Marcus. And Marcus turns around and says, Lucius, come on, come with us. It, it was a really sweet moment. And Marcus wanted to share this with his brother. He was like, I don't care if they showed me more favor than you. You're my brother. I want you to share this with me. I think we can do this very well. And... The great thing is that Lucius didn't really harbor that many ill feelings towards Marcus because he saw it. He saw how everyone was paying attention to Marcus, but Marcus was the one showing him the attention. So Lucius didn't harbor any ill feelings towards Marcus per se, but towards everyone else who kind of cast him aside. So Marcus and Lucius served as co-emperors for eight years, beginning in 161 until 169. So Hadrian enrolled Marcus in the equestrian order at six years old and was later later betrothed to 
his adopted son, Commodus. His adopted son, Commodus's daughter. Commodus, as you know, ended up passing away. Then Marcus ended up naming his son after that Commodus. Now, the soon-to-be son-in-law of the emperor, it became apparent that Marcus was destined to become emperor after Commodus. Uh, he was just shown so much favor. But then once Commodus ended up passing away, Hadrian had to elect someone else and it passed on to Antonus, but requested that Antonus adopt Marcus, which he, he did, and he took him and Lucius under his wing, but like I said, showed Marcus much more attention. Marcus and Antonus became attached to each other. They were It was like a true definition of father and son. Uh, Marcus aided his father in the duties of running the empire and proved himself to be a worthy candidate for the throne. Lucius was younger than Marcus, and he lived in the shadow of his brother, but that never stopped Marcus from including him on stuff. It was not Antonus's wish to have the two men do it, but Marcus, you know, he's like, I'm one man, I can't do this by myself, you know, my brother's been there this whole time, we need to do it. So they served together for eight years, and Lucius ended up passing away due to a stroke in 169. After the death of his brother, Marcus became the sole ruler of the empire, and most of his reign was plagued with warfare, famine, and disease. He did not have a great time as emperor. There was always something happening. This is when we started seeing uh, northern barbarian tribes in Germania start pushing against the em against the frontiers, and there was also a huge there was also a huge infection that started spreading through the city. Disease was rampant. What happened was Lucius was on the Eastern Front. He was waging war and trying to capture more territories. Lucius handled it all. He came back, but unfortunately his men contracted this plague and it started spreading rampantly throughout the streets and it killed a lot of people. But... Lucius didn't have that. He passed away from a stroke. So yeah, in 175, while engaged in the Danube River Valley, a rumor had spread throughout the empire that Marcus had died, leading to the governor of Syria, Gaius Cassius, to lead a revolt and try to take the throne himself. So this guy thinks that Marcus is dead under false pretense and declares himself as emperor. Marcus finds out about this and he marches to that dude and he was just like i hear you're trying to take my throne from me and he was like oh shit i thought you were dead he's like i ain't bitch but you are and fucking killed gaius cassius and his army stood down immediately they were like oh sorry 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 we were just following his command my bad and marcus was like yeah don't let it happen again i'm fucking alive and i'm not going anywhere <laughs> so he uh quelled this whole thing went back home or, and then he uh, went back to the Danube River Valley with his son, Commodus. And it was at this time that Commodus was named Marcus's successor. And this is where the period of the five good emperors ends. Because Marcus doesn't adopt anyone to take his place. He names Commodus as his, as his successor. And he tries to mold him to be a leader like he was. He failed miserably, though. And Commodus was only 18 when he took over because Marcus eventually developed a type of cancer and passed away on the frontier. Commodus ended up taking over shortly after his father's death. Now, Marcus was a philosophical ruler. 
he practiced the art of Stoicism. Stoicism is a philosophy. His Stoic views were that it was his job to serve the subjects and he could only control things that were within his control. He didn't have... He didn't, he didn't worry about things that he couldn't do anything about. His job was to handle what was within his power. If you want to read a cool book, buy it. It's called Meditations, and it's actually uh, transcripts written by Marcus Aurelius from his time on the frontier. And it's about his, um, his philosophy of being a ruler and uh, handling warfare. And it's a really, really interesting book if you're interested in it. So, Meditations by Marcus Aurelius, and it's it's pretty cool. According to the Roman historian Eutropius, he conducted himself towards all men at Rome as if he were their equal, much like his father Antonus, and managed his provinces with the utmost compassion and tolerance. Uh, he kind of took a page out of Antonus's book, and when plague and uh, famine struck Rome, he started selling off his possessions to try and raise gold. You know, he sold things out of his palace so that to people that might need them, and he donated the money to uh, different orders and different people, and he was just like, here, please, take this food, take this money, take this furniture. You need it more than I do. Um, don't worry about paying me back, but, you know, if you're still holding on to it in a few years and I ask for you it back, or ask for it back, I, I would I would appreciate it, you know, but I'm not going to force you, okay? But he, he took it upon himself to use his own funds to help the people that were in need. And, you know, I mean, that's just, that's just straight out of his father's book. So you can tell he really, really observed and lived in his, the honor of his father. The only fault that you can really throw at Marcus was the fact that he named Commodus his successor. And here's why. Commodus went on to become one of the worst and most hated emperors in Roman history. Almost next to Caligula. He was fucking stupid. He was psycho. This guy was the exact opposite of his father. So it's a... Where, where did this fucking come from? My, my only guess is that this little shithead was under the assumption, oh, I'm the son of the emperor, I can do whatever the fuck I want, I don't care. He kind of carried that mentality to when he was emperor. You know, his father died, he became emperor. You know, I mean, he was just a kid, he was 18. He was the first emperor to inherit the throne from his birth father, ending the period of the five good emperors. He was conspired against by his own sister and his own nephew. What does that say about you when your own family is conspiring against you? I mean, I know that's happened in the past, but yikes. Uh, the conspiracies were unsuccessful, but Commodus became a shut-in. He handled, he left all the emperor matters to his personal chamberlains to handle. He ended up just becoming this depraved bachelor, you know? He constantly had whores coming in and out of his place. He lived more luxuriously than his father did. Uh, ended up kind of driving the empire into debt because he was living this lavish life but not really doing anything to try and contribute. I mean, like I said, his dad kind of sold a lot of their possessions in order to help the empire, whereas Commodus was just buying shit because he was a spoiled little dick and, you know, just getting drunk and high and you know, fucking anything that moved. He ended up asking, demand, sorry, he didn't ask, he demanded the Senate 
deify him as a living god and declared himself as the second founder of Rome and renamed the city Colonia Commodiana. How are you going to name yourself a living god if you're too scared to come out of your fucking room? Like, seriously? You're just in there getting high and drunk and, you know, having sex with women, men, and whatever, but yet you have the audacity to name yourself a living god? I mean, how, how disillusioned are you? This guy, like I said, this guy was an absolute nutbag. And thank God he met his end. Because since he thought that he was a living God and the second founder of Rome, he thought he had the chutzpah to fight in gladiatorial matches. Now, if you've seen the movie Gladiator with Russell Crowe, I recommend watching it. It's very good. A little historically inaccurate. The beginning part of, you know... Uh, Marcus trying to adopt Maximus to take over the throne because he thought his son was not a moral man. That may have been true. I don't think he tried to adopt a, a general or anything like that. There's no record of that. But kind of goes along with the whole five good emperor philosophy. I mean, the way Commodus behaved in that movie is almost identical to how he is written in academic articles and correspondence and stuff like that. He was just an absolute nutbag. And he did eventually meet his end in a gladiatorial fight. A coup was initiated, he was poisoned, strangled, buried. He fought in the gladiatorial games where all this stuff happened. He was strangled by a gladiator, and he was just left there to die. The end of Commodus. And after that point, oh my god, 73 years after Marcus Aurelius, there were 25 emperors. 25 emperors, 73 years. Trajan ruled for 19. That is just sad. The five good emperors was the last little bit of stability that Rome saw. After that, it went to shit. And it all started with Commodus. Because after that, it was just back to the same old thing. Coup after coup, assassination after assassination, ineptitude, and emperors not being able to hold on to the throne for more than a year because they all fucking sucked. And the Senate and the people in the army were just saying, this, we suck now. It's like the 85 Bears. Mike Dicka came in, won us a Super Bowl. After that, we've been shitty ever since, you know? <laughs> so Marcus Aurelius named his son heir. His son went insane, and the empire fell to shit years later. You know, there wasn't stability after that. So Nerva, Trajan, Hadrian, Antonus Pius, Marcus Aurelius the five good emperors of Rome, the last little bit of sanity and stability that we saw sit on the throne of one of the world's greatest empires gone in a, in a flash because Commodus was a piece of shit. Well, that is all I have on the five good emperors. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. I really enjoy talking about it. Like I said, this is a topic that was near and dear to my heart. I put a lot of love and time and energy into researching this, and I hope you enjoyed it as much as I enjoyed telling you it. Um, give a subscribe, give a review, let me know what you think, let me know what you want to hear. I will be uploading a new episode tomorrow that is going to be a Halloween special. I'm going to talk about the origins of Halloween, and I hope you stick around to hear it, and I hope you enjoy it. But otherwise, leave a review, leave a comment, give me a like, give me a follow, do whatever you want to do. 
And I appreciate you all sticking around and listening to this. I hope you enjoyed me talking about the five good emperors and why you see it was one of my favorite subjects. So I'm going to leave it at that. Y'all take care. Have a great day. Planning for your next trip? Elevate your travel style with Quince. Quince has all the jet-setting essentials you'll want for your next getaway, like European linen, premium luggage options, buttery soft Italian leather bags, and so much more. And it's all priced at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Plus, Quince only works with factories that use safe and ethical manufacturing practices. Pack your bags with high-quality essentials you'll be wearing for vacations to come with Quince. Go to quince.com slash trip for free shipping and 365-day returns. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health-monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello, fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello? Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com.